0: Thank you for joining us today. At Res Life, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, I'm going to be bringing a message, a two part message, first part today, on reversing the devil's decisions. And then the following week, whenever that happens to be that I get to speak again, uh, I'm going to be talking to you about. The power of vision. Now, I'm talking particularly about your vision. Now, the Bible says that where there's no vision, the people perish. or they cast off restraint. In other words, where you don't know where you're going, you just go in every direction. One translator actually says the people run wild. You just go in all sorts of different directions. And uh, I, I am so excited about these messages that are coming up. Uh, someone asked me. And in fact, I've been asked this several times, you know, what's your best message? And I always feel like it's the next one, you know, the one that we're just getting ready to do. But uh, today I want to introduce the subject of reversing the devil's decisions. I think we've all heard God has a plan for your life, right? And it's absolutely true. God does have a plan for your life. In Ephesians, it says it like this, that he has prepared good works beforehand for you to do and pass, He's prepared ahead of time for you to take. So, God's got a great plan for your life. Uh, the thing of it is, so many people believe that God is really kind of mad at them and has them on a leash, or He's up there waiting for them to step out of line with a big fly swatter. But God said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. So God's plan for you. is good. It's peace, right? It's going to bring hope. It's going to bring destiny. It, there, There is a future for you in God's plan. Somebody said this, God loves you exactly the way you are, but too much to leave you the way you are. He's going to do some work on us, right? But his plans for us are good. Jesus said the thief, Speaking of the devil, he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We could say that that's like the devil's mission statement. But Jesus' mission statement is, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, when the enemy has his way, I think one of the best ways to look at it is there is an actual example in the Bible of someone who is attacked by the devil. His name is Job, and there's a whole book of the Bible that's written about him. It's right before the book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible of Psalms. If you go one book back towards the beginning, it's the book of Job. Now, most people haven't read it, and some of them haven't read it because they think it's the book of Job. You know, and they're just a little bit leery of that, but it's the book of Job. right? And uh, the devil attacks Job. Now, here's the funny thing. Is Job... Thinks that it's God that's attacking him. And he's blaming God, kind of like what a lot of people do today. They think it's God, but it's not, it's the devil. And here's what happened: first of all, he attacked his finances, he lost everything, his family, his health, his marriage. You know, he's believing lies about God. There's doubts, there's false friends, there's false accusations that are coming in against him, and it is really an attack of the devil. Now, when God finally shows up, which uh, is not an extremely long period of time. And by the way, Bible scholars believe that the book of Job took some place between three months and nine months for the whole book to take place. I've heard people say, well, I'm Job. Well, then you need to get healed and delivered and get twice as much as you had before. Because it didn't take forever. But when God shows up, this is what he says. He says, who is this? Speaking to Job, who is this who darkens counsel by speaking words without knowledge or without wisdom? So what he's saying is saying, Job, you're running off at the mouth and you don't know what you're talking about. Instead, he says, if you listen to Job, you will walk in darkness. God called what Job said darkened counsel. So here's what I think is funny. Most Christians get their doctrine from Job. They listen to Job and they say, yeah, that's, that's right, that's right, that's right. And God says, if you do that, you're walking in darkened counsel. Right? So we want to stay away from that. So when the devil shows up, what does the tax look like? Well, often they look like they're, they're financial, they're fear, they're sickness, they're depression, marriage problems, family problems, rebellion, debt, that, that, that hopelessness of never being able to get out of debt, never purchase a home, despair, dread. Now, the thing about the devil is this, he's consistent. Right? Now, if you to say one thing about the devil, he's just consistent. He's a good devil. He is bad all the time. And it's just his nature to try to destroy your life. And you say, why would he do that? Well, one of the main reasons is because God loves you so much and he cannot touch God. So he says, I will touch the one that God loves. Somebody else has suggested, and it's very possibly true, that one of the reasons the devil hates you so much is you got his job. Think about that. Now, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28, that when the devil was created, that there were actually musical instruments in his body. There's pipes and there's organs in his body. And he led the choir in heaven. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, you know what you and I are going to do when we get to heaven? We're going to be the choir. It's kind of like we took his job. And you just hate somebody that takes your job. So the devil, he hates you. He's going to try to attack you. I heard it explained like this. The devil is like a schoolyard bully. How many remember school when it was a bully? You know? So, so I, I, I heard one of my mentors explain it like this. He said, The devil is like when a bully was in the schoolyard and he was writing the names down of everybody that he could beat up in his class. And a little guy came over and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm writing the names of everybody I can beat up in my class. And he says, let me look at that list. And a little fellow looked at that list and said, my name's on there. You can't beat me up. And the devil, the devil, the, the, the guy said, the bully said, well, I'll take your name off then. And that's kind of like what the devil's like. When you stand up against the devil, he backs up. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He'll flee from you. Now, here's what's interesting. Most Christians live as if the devil did not exist. Now, we have a place in our theology, yeah, the devil's real. But when's the last time you resisted him? Because the last time you resisted him is the last time he fled from you. And, and I, I literally, I know Christians who have been Christians for 30 and 40 years that could not tell you one time they resisted the devil. Not one. Now, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he can't devour just anybody. He's looking. You say, who does he devour? Number one, he devours ignorant people. He devours people that act like he does not exist. And if, you're, if you're never resisting, he can devour you. Right? Secondly, he devours people who open the door to him. And, and we're not going to talk about that, but there are different things that you and I can do that can open the door for the enemy to come in. So he's looking for whom he may devour. Now, next verse. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, King James. Amplified, resist him from the onset. In other words, immediately when you recognize the enemy coming, immediately resist him. And the sooner you resist him, the less of a foothold he gets. I've mentioned this before, but, but Jeannie loves to garden. She's not here for this service, so I'm going to tell the story. Okay? She loves, she loves gardening. Listen, I hate gardening. I hate it, but we did it for years and years, and she's got a little garden left. But I, I, my job was rototilling and weeding. That was my 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 responsibility. Right? I hated it. I'd rototill once a week, and two or three times a week I'd go down and pull weeds. Right? Well, I hated it so much I thought to myself, "Self, you hate weeding, so why don't why do you do it all the time? Why don't you just wait three four weeks?" Just have one big pain instead of lots of little pains. Made sense to me. But here's the problem. That weed that was that big in three days, you wait three, four weeks, that weed is like this tall. And it's still pulling him out with two fingers. It's like two arms. And that's what it's like when you let the devil have a foothold. That's why the Bible says resist him from the onset. Immediately. excuse me, when we recognize it's the enemy that's coming immediately, we need to resist. His mission statement, steal, kill, destroy. And literally when it talks about stealing, he's talking about something that's unlawful. The Bible says in Colossians that you have been translated out from under the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. One translation says out from under the gloom and doom of Satan's kingdom but we've been translated out. So what that means is we're no longer part of his kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of God, right? Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. So we're part of that kingdom. And literally it's like illegal for the devil to show up at your house. Nevertheless, because he is a thief, he will show up. And it's up to you and you and me to enforce the kingdom. Enforce what Jesus purchased for us. Now, if you were to go home today and as you open the door to your house, immediately you look down and there are a dozen rattlesnakes. How many of you would say to your spouse, honey, we have unexpected guests. No, 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 no. What you should do is go and grab a rake. Not, not one of those leave rakes, but one of those rakes that got those big spikes on it, you know, and you go attack those things. Right? And the same thing is true when the devil shows up. Right? He is a snake. He showed up in the beginning as a snake. Right? And, and when he shows up, we need to immediately resist the enemy. Do not give him place in our lives, in our families. Uh, the second thing he comes to do, he comes to kill. Right? To steal your credibility, to steal your integrity. And ultimately, he would like to see you, your body dead. And destroy, to annihilate, to render powerless. So a couple of thoughts. I want you to remember you're on the right track to something great when the devil shows up and tries to stop you. It's in Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus and his disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says suddenly, bam, a storm, a tremendous storm hits the Sea of Galilee. And the fishermen that are with Jesus, these, are, these men are professional sailors. They believe they're going to sink. And they cry out to Jesus. And he rebukes the wind and the waves and immediately there's calm. And they come to the other side. They come to the area of the Gadarenes or the Decapolis, which simply means the 10-city region. And immediately when they get out of the boat, the Bible says a demon-possessed man runs to Jesus. Mark's gospel says he falls down and worships Jesus. When Jesus addresses the demons that are in this man, and Jesus said, "You believe in demons? Absolutely." And Jesus addressed them, and they said, "We're legion. There's at least six thousand demons in this man." And Jesus cast the demons out of the man. Now the Bible says about this man that he wore no clothes, he lived in the tombs, he cut himself with stones constantly, and he went about day and night screaming and howling. He had been captured and put in chains but by demonic power he would break those chains. Jesus cast that spirit out of him and the people from town came out and the Bible says they found him sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. Probably the greatest miracle in all of Jesus' ministry. And what happened on the way there? The devil tried to stop him on the way there. When God has got a tremendous blessing on on the way, the devil very often shows up with some sort of opposition, some sort of a storm. You see, you're a threat to the devil and he fears your future victories. This is what I know, that the devil's greatest fear is that you will find out who you are in Christ, what belongs to you in Christ and what you can do in Christ. That is his greatest fear. God's got blessing on the way, and he tries to keep us from it. Right? But when there is that, that demonic opposition, God wants to bless you, but he doesn't want to just bless you. I like to say this way, he wants to bless you double. You know, in Isaiah 61, instead of your shame, you'll, you'll have double honor. Instead of confusion, you'll rejoice in your portion. Therefore, in the land, in the land they shall possess double and everlasting joy will be yours. When God turns the captivity of Job, and by the way, when he was under demonic attack, God called that captivity. He says he turned his captivity, and here's what the Bible says, and God gave him double. God gave him double. Now, here's the crazy thing. He was already the richest person in all of the East to start with. He didn't need double, but God gave him double. Double for the trouble. You know, the devil will try to bring opposition when God wants to bring blessing. And one of the things I know is true is that God likes to catch the devil in his own traps. You know, Daniel is in Babylon. He's a, a Jewish man, and he is now in the government. And he's excelling to such a degree that his enemies have the king make a law. You can't pray to anyone except to the king for 30 days. Well, Daniel immediately goes home and prays to God again. Well, the penalty is being thrown in the lion's den. And so they have him thrown in the lion's den. And this was uh, Daniel's report. He said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And he gets delivered out of the lion's den. But here's what's interesting. All of his enemies get thrown in the lion's den. And before they hit the bottom, the Bible says the bones of their body are broken. You see, where the devil meant to destroy Daniel, God delivered him and used that same trap to destroy his enemies. I think the same thing's true with Joseph. You know, he's hated by his brothers. He's beat up, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, lied about, thrown in prison. But yet what happens, God turns it around and brings him out into a place where he delivers not only his own people, but delivers the Egyptians and there's prosperity, there's position, there's power, there's wisdom, there's favor, right? Uh, God likes to take what the devil means for your destruction and turn it around for your good. So I want to give you a couple of biblical principles this morning, and then we're going to keep going next week. Number one, very simple, get on track and then don't look back. Get on track and don't look back. David and Bathsheba messed up big time. I think it's interesting that 3,000 years later, Hollywood makes a movie about King David, and you know what they entitle it? The one time he messed up, David and Bathsheba. But here's what's interesting. They repent. They get right with God. And they're teaching their son Solomon. The Bible mentions his mother and his father teaching him. Read about it. Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7. What are they teaching him? How to avoid sexual immorality. The very place where they fell, God used them to teach their son, and he's been teaching us for 3,000 years. You know what? They blew it. Did they blow it? They blew it. Did they get on track again? Yeah. And they got on track, didn't look back, and God is using them to this day. Peter Denied the Lord, but he repented, got back on track. Forty days later, we have the day of Pentecost, or 50 days later, we have the day of Pentecost. And Peter's up preaching. And he became one of the leaders in the early church. Yeah, did he blow it? He blew it big time, but he got on track, didn't look back. Abraham lies about his wife. Now, Abraham and Sarah go down to, to Egypt. And uh, let me, I me—I know how to say that She's a 10. You understand that? She's hot. Right? She is so hot that Abraham says to her, look, you are, you are so beautiful, they're going to see you, they're going to kill me so they can marry you. So here's what you do. You just tell them I'm your brother. I want to tell you something. That would not go over at my house. But she'd be like, you die. We ain't doing that. <laughs> right? So what does he do? He lies. And the king sees her and she's put in his harem, and he's planning on marrying her, and God shows up and and delivers him. Well, did, did Abraham mess up? Yes, he messed up, but you know what? He got back on track, and everything God ever promised him is coming to pass, even today. Paul was a murderer. He was there helping murder Stephen, the first martyr of the church, but later he gets on track, And literally, he is the greatest church planner in church history. Jacob deceives his father in order to steal his brother's birthright. But he repents. He gets on track. In fact, God changes his name. He says, you're no longer Jacob, which means deceiver. But he says, you're Israel, which means a prince with God. Yeah, he got on. He messed up, but he got back, got back on track. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are going out on their first missionary journey. And they bring along a young man named John Mark. And things get rough. I mean, they're getting stoned. They're, they're, there's persecution. They get whipped. And John Mark bails. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I'm looking for a, purse, you know, a nice plush job here. I'm not looking for all of this stuff. So he bails. And then they're going to go again. And, and Barnabas says, let's take John Mark along. And he says, and Paul says, no way. You know, that guy bailed on us. He's a wimp. We ain't taking no wimps with us. And Barnabas says, no, we need to. And they actually split up over fighting over John Mark. But John Mark, he blew it, but he got back on track. Later, Paul writes and says, send me John Mark because he's useful to me in the ministry. And I don't know if you know this, but John Mark is the, John, is the Mark that wrote the gospel of Mark. If it wasn't that he got back on track, we'd have been missing one of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Noah, he got drunk, but then he got back on track. If we could have the the Apostle Paul here and say to him, Paul, we want you to help us with our Christian life. What What one just, we don't want to know 86 things. We just want you to tell us one thing. Just tell us one thing. What is the number one thing? That you want us to know, to remember, to have a successful Christian life. This is what he would, I believe he would say. It's Philippians 3. He said, This one thing I do. Forgetting the things that are behind, I reach forward to the things that are ahead. The number one hindrance in most people's Christian life is they won't let go. They look at their performance, they look at their past, and they don't let it go. Living in the past means you're going to have a powerless present. If you're going to judge your relationship with God based on your behavior, how many of you know every one of us has failed? Every one of us has failed. It's Hebrews 4.1, and it says this, the one thing we should fear is that anybody thinks they've missed their chance. The one thing we should fear is that anybody thinks they've missed their chance. Jack Hayford wrote this. He said, The past is a dead issue. We can't gain any momentum moving forward towards tomorrow if we're dragging the past behind us. Unfortunately, that's what many people do. They drag the past with them wherever they go. And as a result, they never make any progress. You gotta let go of the past, of your failures, of your shortcomings. Of anything that anybody did to you, you need to let it go. Number two, when you get hit, how many of you know everybody gets hit? Everybody gets hit from time to time. Everybody gets knocked down. When you get hit, do not quit. I say it this way. The difference between winners and losers is losers get hit and they stay down. Winners get back up. In fact, the Bible says it this way. The righteous man may fall seven times, but rises again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Now, somebody says, well, this is my 13th time. The number seven is simply referring to infinity. It is completeness. It's just saying every time that you get knocked down, you get back up. In fact, the righteous thing to do when you get knocked down is get back up. The unrighteous thing to do is stay down, Right? And remember this, failure is not a person. Failure is an event, right? And it's only part of the learning process, right? Micah said this. He said, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. He's saying when you get knocked down and it seems like everything's dark, God's on your side. God's got information for you. God's going to lift you up. He's there with you. Right? Don't get knocked down and stay down. Uh, I want to just talk to you a little bit about the life of someone that we've, we've all heard of. But uh, as a young man and he started in business at the age of 22 and uh, went bankrupt. At age 23, he tried to get in politics, but was defeated. At age 24, he went bankrupt in business again. At age 25, he was actually elected to the state legislature. At age 26, his sweetheart died, and uh, he went into chronic, deep depression. He was on 24-hour suicide watch for over a month. At 27... He's going through that nervous breakdown and really just it took him a long time to get out. At 29, uh, he was defeated for speaker. At 31, defeated for Electoral College. At 34, defeated for Congress. 37, he was elected to Congress. At 39, defeated for Congress. At 46, defeated for the Senate. At 47, defeated for Vice President. At 49, defeated for the Senate. But at 51, he was elected President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. He got knocked down a lot, went through a lot of really tough stuff, right? But we read today and we just look back at his victories, right? But he experienced many more defeats than he did victories. And because he just kept on getting back up, he was such a great leader for our nation in its darkest hour when we just kept on facing defeat after defeat after defeat. Right? The righteous man may fall seven times, but rises Again, David and Peter are just great examples of it. Our past should be a springboard and not a hammock. And we look at David and Bathsheba. The very thing that they fell into in sin is the thing that God used them to teach to his son and now to us for the last 3,000 years. You know, your mess literally, when God gets involved, will become your message, Your misery, your ministry. Your test, your testimony. Your pain, your pulpit. And your hurt is what really qualifies you to minister healing to others. The Bible tells us that the same grace that God gives you and I when we go through something, God wants to use us to minister that grace to others. One last thought. Refuse to run when you're under the gun. The Bible says in Proverbs, if you faint in the day of adversity... How small is your strength or your faith. If you faint in the day of adversity. Many people really believe that, that, that religion, I say I almost say we religion, that Christianity, that faith, it is just a, it's a crutch. And it's, it's just something, you know, for people when, they, 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 when they're weak. It's just for Sundays. But the Bible tells us that faith is for the day of adversity. Faith is for the day when everything seems to be going wrong. Faith is when you get the, for when you get the bad report. And the Bible says, if you faint in that day, in that day of adversity, and again, everybody is going to have a day of adversity. It's going to come. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You know, we would have never known the greatness that was inside of David if it hadn't been for a day of adversity. If it hadn't been for the day when there was a giant out in front of the army saying, send me somebody to fight with me. And if I kill him, we'll be your slaves. And if he kills me, then uh, we will be your slaves. And if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. We would never know the greatness that was inside David. Because the greatness that's on the inside, the faith that's on the inside, it really doesn't show up until the time of adversity. Now, it ends up being there, it grows there in the private moments. And really, victories are not won publicly. They're seen publicly, but that's not where they're won. Uh, you might watch a boxing boxing match and see somebody get knocked out. They give you know, the guy gives a right hook and knocks the guy out. And we think, wow, he won the victory there that day in the ring. Now, he didn't win in the ring. He won months before getting up at five o'clock in the morning, going for a 10 mile run, then going to the gym, hitting the weights and then spending three hours a day hitting the bag. Sometime out there is when he won the victory, it just showed up in the ring. Right. And the same thing is true about you and me. Uh, it's the private time. It's what you're doing in the private place that eventually shows up in public. Jesus said, do your charitable deeds in secret that your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It's what you do when nobody's looking, when nobody knows Those are the things that build that faith on the inside so that when the day of adversity comes, you're there to bring the knockout. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Uh, Here's what we think. We think that nobody's ever thought what I thought. Nobody has ever had the pull towards doing something that I've had. Nobody's ever felt what I've felt. Nobody's ever been treated like I've been treated. Nobody ever has felt this. But the truth is that there's 10,000 people within 10 miles of us right now that have felt everything that you've felt and have had every urge you've ever had. You think you've got VIP temptations? The Bible says you don't. The Bible says everything that the devil throws at you is common. It's ordinary. Everybody faces stuff. Everybody faces stuff. And you're not the only one who ever faced it. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. In other words, if the temptation never shows up, it's because God knows that you can win. You can win. You can win because the victory has already been won for you. We just need to hook up with that victory that Jesus purchased for us. You know, Paul has been in prison for two years, falsely accused. They put him on a ship headed to Rome. He ends up in a hurricane for two weeks. No one sees the sun, the moon, the stars. They shipwreck. He swims to shore. He's putting on some some logs on a fire, and a poisonous viper comes out and fastens itself to his arm. Now, he shakes it off and ends up preaching the gospel. But here's what I want to do. He never says, oh, I wonder why God's mad at me. What's going wrong? I've been in a hurricane. I've been in prison. I've been shipwrecked. I've been snake bit. All this stuff. God, what have I done wrong? God, he never, That never even enters his mind. Never enters his mind. Right? Most of us, if the lawnmower and the air conditioning break in the same month, we're like, we think it's the great tribulation. And we're like, God, why have you forsaken me? What's wrong? God, what's wrong? Right? We need to recognize that there's a devil. There's going to be hindrances, but God is for you. God loves you and God's got victory for you. God has a destiny for you. God has plans for you and the failures of your past do not just qualify you for the future success and blessing that God has for you. The one thing we should fear is that you think you missed your chance. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? In a, in a group of this size, there's people in every spiritual condition. I know there's people here you've lived for God for decades. And there's others that right now you're away from the Lord. You're not where you should be with God. You're watching right now. And you're not where you should be with God. You're, you've, you've, you have let something come in between you and God and you've drifted away. Or you may be here and you, you, you have no idea where you stand with God. The Bible says we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. We're not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know we're forgiven right with God on our way to heaven. If we don't know, you're not where you should be with God. So I'm going to ask everybody, if you came with somebody and you're sitting with the person you came with, would you take their hand? And those of you that are watching online, if you can't take somebody's hand and we're going to pray this prayer together. I want you to make these words your own. Say this out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I I believe he rose again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for him. He is my king. He's my Lord. And I received the forgiveness he purchased for me. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That I'm forgiven. That I'm a part of your kingdom. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.